and surpassed penetrating and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas having it to see and listen to to remember and accept I am to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Good morning. Good morning. Huh. <laughs> so this is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. I think his birthday is on the 19th, but I'm not sure. At any rate, we commemorate it with this coming Monday. and. I've often talked about a wonderful sermon he gave in Birmingham very early on. We talked about not hating. He said, when Jesus said to love your enemy, he meant it. It wasn't aspirational. And anybody wants that sermon, I have it in my computer and I can send it to you. But I wanted to talk this time about the letter from Birmingham jail, which is much better known. Um, is there anybody who doesn't know what the letter from the Birmingham jail was? It's fine if you don't, I mean, you're much younger than I am. I'm seeing these faces that seem like maybe you're not sure, but nobody is raising their hand, and I just wish people wouldn't. Just one thing is there's, thank you, there's no stupid questions. And often, if you ask something, you get up your nerve and you say, oh, God, oh, well, you're And you're going to be speaking for half the people in the room. So please, when uh, this is significantly later, it was um, the letter is dated April 16th, 1963. And he was already the, uh, the Southern Christian Leadership Council had already been formed and he was the head of it. And the, uh, the uh, Montgomery bus boycott had already happened. And that's, that was and what, trigger his leadership that the people rosa parks was already an experienced organizer before she stayed in the back stayed, stayed in the front of the bus or she refused to get up and she was part of a group of people there that were leading the civil rights movement there and they got together you know she just went but and one day she just decided i i've had it and they had been kind of looking for somebody else to do it that wasn't kind of known, you know. But she she just decided that was enough. And so she got arrested and so on. And, and um, she and the small group of leaders there were looking, they wanted somebody to be the visible leader of the group because they were all too well known and, and thought of by in some quarters as rabble rousers. I don't know exactly what their politics were, but I know that they trained at a place called Highlander, Highlander School in Tennessee, and that was run by a bunch of leftists that were teaching organizers, union organizers and civil rights organizers. But at any rate, they were looking for somebody to be the the face, and he was a new pastor in town in uh, Atlanta. I guess he was in Atlanta by then. I'm sorry, I, I love the way they pronounce it on <laughs> TV during uh, 
uh, Democratic presidential uh, nominations, or they used to. He was a sort of a fresh young face, so they asked King to be the face of it, and he's, he, he, he was, and he, he became quite prominent rather quickly. And he was asked, or his organization really, was asked to come to Birmingham. As he says in the letter, the letter is written from jail. And it was written in response to a public letter from a bunch of white clergy, Protestant and Jewish, I think. I don't know if there were any Catholics, but at any rate, a bunch of clergy saying that uh, his goals were admirable, but he was moving too fast. And, and his tactics were, you know, I've never actually read their letter. One probably should, uh, and I'm sure it's available. Uh, at any rate, that, that it was kind of like he was being rude. And, you know, things, things change, you know, they just, just couldn't you just wait? So this letter is saying no. And he says it very nicely, and he says it very clearly. And he explains himself. I, I can't read you the whole letter because it's very long. One thing he says is that he, he has a lot of time to write letters since he's in jail. This is a famous response, this letter. And um, it's, uh, it's called Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And it's easy to find it should you decide you want to read it. Uh, and I do commend it to you. And if you Google it, as I did to get it, to, to, to be able to print it out, there's five million copies of it, at least. So he's writing to my dear fellow clergymen, and they probably were all clergymen. <laughs> Suppose now you'd say fellow clergy. So he, he describes first the SCLC. Um, it has an organization, he says, in every southern state with headquarters in Atlanta, with 85 affiliate organizations, one being the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. And apparently that organization called on uh, the SELC to uh, support them in engaging in a nonviolent direct action program. And so, uh, when the hour came, we lived up to our promises. So I am here, along with several members of my staff, because we were invited here. I'm here because I have basic organizational ties here. Beyond this, I'm sure they were also accused of being out people who's an outside organizer. Uh, I have basic organizational ties here. Beyond this, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their, thus saith the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometown, and just as the Apostle Paul left his little village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to practically every hamlet and city of the Greco-Roman world, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. And I just, I see that 
that's a great expression of what it means to be a bodhisattva, to be what it means to be an enlightening being who has vowed to be of use to all beings. Kind of like it, it needed to be done, so I did it. It's a wonderful poem by Marge Pearson called To Be of Use. And it's also easy to Google to be of use. And she talks about in the poem about how she likes people, her or people that she feels akin to are the kind of people that jump in and, and are of use. No parlor generals, but the kind that pass along the water when there's a fire to be put out or go out in the fields and bring in the harvest. Want to be of use and want work that is real. And that's how, that's how I see him. That's one of my definitions of a bodhisattva. Talk about bodhisattvas. That kind, that word is in pretty common usage nowadays, and it's often used to refer to people like um, Kuan Yin or Avalokiteshvara, the uh, bodhisattva of uh, perfect wisdom, or Manjushri here with this red-tipped sword, which they, he's the one that he's the bodhisattva that cuts through all delusions, and that's the sword of wisdom. And it's supposed to be a flame on the end, but it looks like blood. <laughs> this, this one, I don't know if you can see it, but you can afterward look at it. And, and sometimes it feels like blood. <laughs> like, like I feel bloody when my uh, cherished delusions get challenged. <laughs> and I have to heal the wound. And I think maybe those pastors that wrote to him felt somewhat challenged or bloody, you know, that they, because they, they were saying, I, you know, we agree with you. Segregation is wrong. Jim Crow is wrong. Do you have to be so mean and go break laws? You break the law? And he has a really, really wonderful uh, analysis of there are laws that are need to be broken. There are laws that are unlawful in a moral sense, and that is, it, it, it's not a judgment to be made lightly, but these kinds of laws are broken. And he says, you need to be willing to pay the price. In other words, if you break the law, you need to be willing to go to jail, which is an interesting distinction. That's always spoken to me, so that you don't break a law lightly, and you don't in the process, deny that you are part of the body politic. And you break it to make a larger point and to, because it needs to be done. Nobody should have to sit on the back of the bus because of the color of their skin. Nobody should be paid differently. Nobody should be worried about being shot by the cops and on them. And he says to them, you, the clergy, you express a great deal, a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. And then he says that's a legitimate concern. So I mean, he's really, he's a very generous person. And, um, I don't know how long it took him to write it, 
to, to cut through his own delusions and to give, give up his attachment to his view. And not, I'm not talking that he should have changed his view, but that when we're attached to our view, that's when we lash out in retaliation. He's not lashing out. He is, and a bodhisattva, I think, needs to do that. Sure, needs to do this. He's, uh, he's setting boundaries in this letter. He's saying, no, I don't think you're right. And I wish very nicely, but I, you know, I wish that you would join us. And I'm disappointed that there are so many white clergy that stand by. And he points out exactly how he says it. But that in some ways, they're more difficult to deal with than the Bull Connors. Bull Connors are going to set dogs on people. At any rate, that it's easier to deal with the Bull Connors of the world than these kind of people to open. Don't be so mean, you're slow. Obey the laws, that kind of thing. That's very hard to deal with. And it's painful, as he says, because he would have thought that you could, I would have thought, I, Martin Luther King Jr., would have thought that you clergy would be with us. And of course, there are some, but not very many. And of course, that changed. And it changed partly because it's just better, I think. I didn't say what, hey, I wrote notes about what I wanted to emphasize, and I didn't put the year where it was. Well, one has, I, I just said, it says one has not only a legal, but also a moral responsibility to, to uh, disobey unjust laws. Which is what I've just been talking about. You know, you never, you, we can never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was, quote, legal, unquote. And everything that Hungarian freedom fighters did in Hungary was illegal. It was illegal to aid and comfort Jews in Hitler's Germany, but I'm sure that he's, King says, I'm sure if I lived there, I would have given aid and comfort to them. I had hoped, he says, that the white moderate would understand that law and order exist for the purpose of establishing justice, and that when they fail to do this, they become dangerously structured dams that block the flow of social progress. I had hoped that the white moderate would understand that the present tension in the South is merely a necessary phase of the transition from an obnoxious negative piece where the Negro passively accepted her unjust plight to a substance-filled positive piece where all people would respect the dignity, dignity and worth of human personality. So, and there's, it's very, it's very dense. I'm not going to try to keep trying to read it, and I'm, I'm giving up finding the uh, uh, quote. <laughs> but it says, what I, I wrote, now what, etc. read comment. <laughs> <laughs> and I usually, and I would have, had my dog not interfered, <laughs> I would have gone upstairs and, and found them and marked them on this on this printout copy. But I didn't have time, so I didn't.
he also has a sense of humor. I'll just read this because I like it. Towards the end, he says, Never before have I written a letter this long, or should I say a book. I'm afraid it is much too long to take your precious time. Sparky, <laughs> I can assure you that it would have been much shorter if I had been writing from a comfortable desk. But what else is there to do when you are alone for days in the dull monotony of a narrow jail cell other than write long letters, think strange thoughts, and pray long prayers? <laughs> what? It sounds like Zosin. Yes. <laughs> Very much like Zosin. Anyway, um, I just, I think it's just a great example of um, reaching out and explaining and seeking support at, and at the same time setting some boundaries. Saying, you know, that what, what you're, you're not doing anything is in fact doing something. It is a problem. You're wrong. And without ever direct, quite saying, you're wrong, but it's quite clear that he thinks that they are, and that it's a problem. They're a problem, but he's he does it in a way that is not mean spirited. That has a generosity to it, and it's one of the many reasons that I really admired him. Because that's hard to do. I work with lawyers, and that's one of the things that we talk about. You know that. That uh, it, when you're practicing law, you need to say no, you need to set boundaries, you need to challenge people, and you don't have to do it from a place of, of anger or self-protectiveness. Like sometimes I say, sometimes you have to be fierce, but not angry. And um, he's, he's very gentle here, and I think he's being fierce. Because most of the things that I know of him, he's exhorting and, and uplifting people up and criticizing um, the Bull Connors of the world, but not, not the moderates of the world. So, um, does anybody have any comments or questions or things you want to say? Anything you want to say about him? His birthday? Yeah. I particularly um, find it always moving that he says um, to, if you disobey the law, you take the consequences. If you do something that society will frown upon, expect the frowns. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially because I can imagine an intellectual justification of the law is unjust, therefore I did nothing wrong, therefore I should try my best to avoid the consequences of disobeying an unjust law. Mm -hmm. But he takes a very noble path, um, goes all the way back to, um, I also think of Socrates in ancient Greece who just, all he did was he asked people to question and he was put to death for it and his disciples um, said, hey, we've got a way out, you don't have to drink the poison, we, we bribed some people, I don't know how they did it, but they were going to help him escape. He said, I've lived here my whole life and obeyed the laws, I've had plenty of chances to escape and now I'm going to escape when I'm... You know, he had the same philosophy that... Yeah, um, he's, he's, he, he's, he comes up in here. Oh, then he does, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, that's what I'm yeah, well, uh, yeah, and I think that it's it's a common thing nowadays. These young people, afraid <laughs> yeah, I sound like it, but you know that they, they seem to think that that it's okay that they should be able to um, break the law and and not have consequences because they were morally justified. And I think that's that's a slippery slope. I, I mean, I don't know what people who get caught about the following say, but you know, there, when there are demonstrations in downtown Oakland, a lot of small businesses get trashed. And that's just not okay with me anyway. Anything else? Well, Eric, right now, just like this gentleman, well, I wouldn't use the word, the New York uh, person who oh, lied oh. about everything how, how he can still carry forth just uh, you know makes me want to scream and um i don't know if you have any comments about well, our system or where well, we are there are just family. laws i think <laughs> that he's breaking and, and i think he's going to reap what he's sown and and i think frankly that the republican party is enabling him the leadership is enabling him and they're going to reap what they sowed because he's, he's, I mean, he's, he's, if he weren't in the position he's in, he'd be pitiful. And he's causing harm and it's, it's time. I wish that somebody who could have the power to do it would set a boundary with him. Tell him no. And it will come, but it, it may take, you know, he's only got another, not quite a year, about a year and a half, a little more. So, who knows? Yeah, Joey? I was thinking about that, being fierce, but not angry. And I, you know, as a mm -hmm. the work that I do, um, even challenging, you know, people that are also in my field, but in leadership roles in my, in my, my job, it's difficult for them to hear that. And I've had to really step back and, consider like the presentation because there's a lot of energy around what I see in just even within where I work mm -hmm. and speaking to people who are also in this field of justice and yet there's this pushback or this resistance to really hear it because they're getting caught up in the way the message is being delivered. So I appreciate hearing that this morning. Really. So it is a delicate dance. I think it's an art to be able to be fierce and not be angry. It's yeah. always those emotions there. Those are real. That's right. Well, we, and we have to practice with it. And first, but first, I acknowledge I'm really angry. You know, I let myself physically feel it and and not express it, except maybe into a pillow or something. Um, and 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 ask myself, what's what's this about? Because that, I think of anger as when you've gotten to a point where you don't care about the consequences. You're just going to. Um, so I spend some time with that first so that I, I know it and also I can loosen my grip on it. I notice how it's like that, you know, that, that, so can I, if I can't, if I can't completely do that, you know, can I hold it more lightly and be aware of it? Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's difficult. 
There's lots of advice about, you know, when, when we, like, I, I hate Donald Trump, and I'm not proud of that. Um, and so I do, one of the things I work with is, you know, what is it that it triggers? What, what, what in my ancient tangled family karma gets triggered by him? What am I afraid of? So then I have to belittle him. And of course, it's a lot of fun, so. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly and I suffer. <laughs> so you think, though, fear it does underlie most anger that I've experienced. And I think that it's harder to work around fear than it is anger. Because anger is very easy. You can do it and it's done. But there's that core fear. And I think that it doesn't matter whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's injustice against I, I think so. I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if all the time I hesitate to say, but a lot of the time. And I know for myself that's true, that there's something that feels that feels threatened or maybe thwarted, but that it still goes back to fear of, of uh, I mean, it's a deeper fear than not getting my way and something else, but um, yes. And that's what I need to get in touch with and kind of sometimes take my power back. And one of the things I, I look for, I notice, when I'm in that kind of places, I notice my language, I start swearing more, and I start talking faster, my get louder, and I can feel it in my in, in ear. So, yes. And so then I stop and pay some attention. Maybe sit that. <laughs> Kelly? Just tagging on to that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing crosstalk. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, anger gives you a sense of surety, right? Like, I, I, I remember the, the old, very problematic David Crockett shows where he, he would always say, be sure you're right, then go ahead. Oh. And, and it's like, it's, it, if you're sure, then, then you can be fierce. And I think that for me, I'm always, I'm, I'm always doubtful. And so the, fer the ferocity without anger is very difficult. Like if I get angry, I'm pretty sure at that moment that I can be fierce. I'll probably regret it in a few minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my definition of fierce, I mean, it's yeah. just a word, but yeah. I'm saying that that's when you don't, you're not coming across as angry, but you are setting a boundary and you might have to raise your voice or whatever. But it's not coming from that place of fear. And, and um, one of the things I learned is that I used to think that I had to be right in order to be angry. Mm. And of course, that's not the case. And I was I'm angry because I'm angry. I'm usually not right when I'm angry. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah it's usually some ancient tank of whatever. Um, but I need to acknowledge it, you know, not. These are numberless, I how to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I how to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. 
Greetings are numberless. I have how to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I have how to rend them. Dharma gates are boundless. I have how to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I have how to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.